0: People may see a 79 on a Tour Pro scorecard and think to themselves, Woof, man, he really made a mess that day, right? But what's funny is you really didn't. <laughs> and welcome back. Welcome aboard another par train. I'm one of your co-hosts, Evan Singer. Mr. Matt Cermak, my other co-host, was at a work event tonight. He couldn't make it. An event popped up, so I flew solo tonight, okay? And you guys are going to absolutely love this interview, okay? It's one of my favorite ones we've done recently, and I think you'll get a lot out of it. But first, in case you're new, guys, welcome aboard. If your golf game's off the rails and you're sick of riding the struggle bus, you've come to the right place. The PAR train helps frustrated golfers Enjoy the ride again on and off the course because we believe if you can learn to smile through bad golf, you can smile through anything. The Partrain Podcast unpacks the mental game with PJ Torque Pros, Corn Fairy Torn Pros like today with James Nicholas, best selling authors, CEOs, sports psychologists, everyday golfers like you and me, and more to make the hardest game in the world feel easy and help you finally get back on track. The Partrain Podcast is presented by Roback Performance Apparel. So thank you to them for supporting us and helping us do. This every week okay if you guys don't have Robac here's what I'm gonna do I got a DM last week from a guy that said quote the Roback hoodie came in today as soon he put soon in caps as soon as I tried on my wife says just go ahead and order another one because one it looks hot on you and two you already know you're gonna order another so just do it end quote love her and love Roback. Closet is going to get full of this stuff. Great recommendation, Partrain. Okay. Guys, I get DMs like this every single week. We talk about it a lot on the show, but I know it's common practice to fast forward through this stuff and get to the podcast. I'm telling you, we're not going to promote anything unless we love it. And Roback is at the top of the list. Okay. So go to roback.com, enter the code TRAIN. That is for podcast listeners only. Get yourself 15% off and get yourself, they just released Master's polos, the Azalea, the Cherry Blossom, the Patron. There's all these amazing polos. I'm gonna wear, I did a poll today on Instagram, I think 80% said to wear the Azalea. So I'm trying to decide between the Azalea and the Cherry Blossom for the Masters, I'll probably end up going with the Azalea. But super fun prints, and they're even gonna have more releases uh, for around the Masters. So go to roback.com. Enter the code TRAIN, get 15% off. And I'm telling you, once you try Roback, you will never go back. They are the best. Thank you guys for supporting the show. And you guys are going to love it. Trust me. Okay. Um, Like I said, we just had James Nicholas on the podcast. He is a Corn Ferry Tour pro. He's been on tour for three years now. Went to Yale. He was a two sport athlete at Yale, uh, played football and golf. And uh, was a two-time Ivy League Player of the Year 2018-2019, six-time collegiate winner. And I think this episode is so relatable and so simple. Probably heard of James. You, ha- you either follow him on Instagram. He's a great follow. He does daily uh, videos and helps you follow his game. He does over-unders for every round he's playing. So you kind of feel like you're kind of along for the ride. And he does a great job documenting life as a tour pro, especially on the Corn Ferry Tour. You might have heard his name from what he did in Columbia, where he shot a 79 on the first day, and the second day he shot a 61 and missed the cut. So there was all these stories written about it, this guy that shot a 61 and didn't even make the cut. right? And the things that he talks about are gonna blow your mind from the differences from the 79 to the 61, and guess what? They're not as different as you might expect. You might think, oh, you know, I was super tight on day one, and then I didn't care, and actually, it's not it was not that different. It was very small things, and I think we talk a lot about how he deals with results. You know, on the Corn Ferry and Monday qualifying, it can change his life if he plays well one week. He'll get into another tournament, get into another tournament, plays well in those, he could have a better chance of getting his PJ Tour card. Right. So I think that's why these interviews are so damn valuable for us amateur players to listen to because they are fighting with results and what things mean, maybe more than anyone, because it does mean so much. And listening to how he battles that, um, I think is going to be really beneficial for your games. So I will stop there. I will get you right to the interview. And um, no matter how you're playing, no matter how high your score is no matter how uncomfortable you feel over the ball guys just enjoy the ride all right the journey is more important than the results because what's one thing we all have in common as humans the word more no matter what great thing you do you're going to want more of it so enjoy the ride along the way because no results going to leave you fulfilled might give you a little boost of uh of serotonin um in the moment But then you're going to want to do it again the next day and feel frustrated if you don't. So enjoy the ride along the way. Thank you guys as always for supporting the show. If we've added any value, um, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. I've been seeing your reviews come in. I really appreciate it. I want other people to get inspired by your stories so that more people can hop on the train and we can help more people become happier on and off the course. And uh, give us a follow at The Par Train, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. We're posting multiple times there a day, things we don't share on the podcast. And, um, a lot of people are finding our podcast through that. If you're already on the podcast and you don't follow us there, a lot of good stuff that you'll like. So thank you guys as always. And enjoy the ride. Take care. First of all, happy belated. You just had a birthday, just turned 25.
1: Getting old. Jeez. <laughs> Getting out loud It's kind of scary. Man, it's yeah.
0: making me feel old. I'm 34.
1: Yeah. I got a younger brother. He's 16 or I guess he just turned 17. He's been making fun of me. I'm like, oh, you're not too far off,
0: kid. <laughs> yeah. When I saw 97 as the year you were born, I was like, holy shit. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Maybe I am getting up there now. <laughs> I'm excited to have you aboard, James. We're talking off air. Uh, I think someone like you that's been professional now for a few years, I think there's actually some really good insights that even the average player can take because I'm sure you've already gained so much knowledge from college to first year on tour, now a couple years, two to three years on tour. Uh, But first, before we dig into your golf, I wanna start, I thought this would be a fun place to start with you, James. Uh, I just invested in my first camera. I got a Sony a6400 18 to 135 millimeter lens, and I wanna start shooting more on course content. I wanna start a YouTube this year we've put interviews up there before but never really like, you know, shot our own stuff. You know, I want to use that platform to unpack people's thoughts while they're playing. So not only is it fun to watch someone play, but like let's break down what we're thinking. You know, how are we going to pull ourselves out of that double or that bogey we just had and and move forward, right? I wanted to start today by asking you any tips for me on shooting Good on-course content because if you're not following James on Instagram, TikTok, uh, James Nicholas Golf, you shoot great stuff, and that's how we got linked up. So, any tips for a new camera guy?
1: Yeah, no, I think I, I get a lot of questions about all this camera equipment and all these, uh, you know, tips and tricks. Yeah. How I, I got started. So, initially, the way I got started was I picked up a camera and then I learned. Right? You're gonna pick it up and you're gonna be like, okay, what do all these buttons mean and do? Right. Um, it's just like a first time golfer. Like, what's a seven iron What's a nine iron What's a driver? You know, it, it seems so complicated. But then once you get down to the midi and grid, and once you get down to the basics, it's really pretty simple. Um, for you, I would say shoot auto at first. Don't yeah. deal with manual, fo- uh, manual exposure, manual focus, and all that stuff. Um, and then you're going to want to get mics. So get some external microphones. Other than that, YouTube is your friend when it comes to video making. If you have any sort of question, either DM me. Or go on YouTube and just be like, Hey, how do I do Because it's too totally. Yeah.
0: Totally. And do you use a full tripod? Or because I just got a I think it's called a gorilla pod that's got, you know, you can wrap it around stuff. And I didn't I haven't tried it yet. But I thought that'd be good for a cart and also my bag if I'm walking. But I'm curious how you set up your camera, like let's just say down the line yeah. for for you know purposes of this conversation.
1: Yeah, GorillaPods are really good because your well first your camera's really light. I used to use a Canon 1DX Mark II and that camera's massive. So Gorillapod would basically crumble under that weight. Mm. Um, but for you know, Sony, I Sony bodies a and similar lens to you, the 16-35. And that is perfect for that. Um, you can put it on carts and you can maneuver it any way you want to. You don't just have to have it perfectly on a tripod. The problem with normal, regular tripods is that on uneven terrain or mounted to other objects, it's really hard to keep them stable. So. Mm. Those are great for interviews where you're sitting. Yeah, The grill pod is good for, you know, putting on carts, putting in cars, all that stuff.
0: And if I'm putting that on the grass, is that too low? Like do you have yeah, a higher? Yeah,
1: too low. Okay. You should get a tripod for that.
0: Got it. Okay. Good to know. All right, well let's give people a little context. Uh, I'm not going to go too far back, but just so people know, you played at Yale, football and golf. I saw on your profile on pjtour.com that you didn't really take golf or golf didn't really get to the next level until you started taking it seriously and you stopped playing football. So, what I want to know, kind of as a fun way to start digging into your game, is what did you do differently when you were a single sport athlete at Yale that started to elevate your game? Obviously, the time and the practice, but yeah. wh- what flipped for you when you started focusing on the game?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's not too complicated. It was more the time. So I played pretty much every sport under the sun when I was growing up, whether it was soccer, swim team, dive team, basketball, lacrosse, tennis, baseball, hockey, football. <laughs> I, I played everything. And then I got to high school and I was going to play football, hockey, and golf, uh, and lacrosse. And a, a golf wasn't going to be one of my sports. I'd always played, but it was never going to be one of my sports. I broke my collarbone in football and then in hockey. And then I was going in to get my clearance for the cross and the nurse was like, why don't you play golf? I know you're pretty good at golf. Why don't you play golf? And I was like, fine, I'll, I'll, I'll play golf this season. Let my column, uh, you know, relax and, and heal up. And I kind of fell in love with the sport. But again, I only played two months that year. I played May and June, maybe a little bit of July. And that was it for my whole life up until uh, college. And... I got well before that I got recruited to play hockey, football, and golf at Yale and then chose to play football and golf with football being my main sport, um, golf kind of being my fallback. And you know, like what position
0: I, in football were you?
1: Strong safety. Okay. Um, that was kind of the reason I stopped playing. So the wanted to touch the ball, one for the wide receiver, and they had, they had too many wide receivers and then you just need safeties. And, mm. But um, sophomore year of of college i decided to stop playing football and all that time that i'd spent that's why i mentioned those sports playing those other sports my whole life um it was you know sports school sleep and then a couple you know maybe a little bit of time with friends here and there but all that time i had um i just filled with golf so i practiced 12 hours or i think it was i practiced 10 hours a day every single day for six months straight while at yale um i'd wake up at 4:30, go to the team room before classes till 9 and then I'd finish my classes at 9 or or finish my classes from 9 to 2 go straight to the course practice till dark and then I go in our team room indoors and I'd in between studying I would hit balls and study then hit balls and study um and I think at that point it didn't I, my practice didn't need to be smart which is what now I really focus on a smart practice um I just needed reps I needed those repetitions and get that experience because I wasn't playing golf my whole life it was just in the summers with my dad and my brothers. Um, and then once I got to Yale, I was able to use those resources to kind of get better.
0: So what, what type of scores were you shooting in high school if you didn't play that much golf and you, were still, you still got a scholarship? Yeah. Yeah, I know so the Ivies up, is another thing, but.
1: Yeah. Well, growing up in, in New York, I mean, the be- so be- in my opinion and many people's opinions, the best golf you know, area in the world, whether it's in Westchester, Fenway, Quaker Ridge, Wingfoot, and then you go on Long Island, and you've got a whole array of, of great golf courses. Um, so I'd always play with my friends. We would play all the time. And I was, I was able to shoot 67, 68, um, you know, not frequently, but every other round. But the problem was that my other round was, you know, 79 or an 80, and yeah. even the high 85, 86, right? And finding the difference, or those, those, those differences would be like, okay, hey, you just shot two 75s. But no, no, I shot right. 65, 85. Like, no, no, it's the same thing. Mm. So I think there is a big disparity most boys in high school.
0: Well, this is really interesting because I think what you just defined—probably not the 67 part—but what you just described is what most amateur players experience. I've experienced it. You know, I shot a 78, 89 in back-to-back weeks. You know, and it—I think a lot of us have this. uh, Our ego wants to say we've lost it. Or we've gone back to square one. What was the big shift for you? Obviously, reps, but like helping people understand what you were actually doing that brought down your high rounds from an 86 or whatever it was to, you know, a 75 or a 76. What made that difference and that jump for
2: you?
1: Definitely. I think reps is. Obviously, gonna be a big thing, right? Practice. If you put in the practice, you're probably gonna lower your scoring average. um Maybe not your high scores, but your scoring average will lower. Mm. I saw this over my three my three years of really playing golf at Yale: sophomore, junior, senior year. My score average dropped every single year. And what was I doing? I was practicing, but I was also learning how to play courses. I wasn't just going out there and you know hitting driver in every single hole then hitting it to every single pin. I was learning. Hey, dog leg left. Let's try to hit a draw here. There's woods left. There's you know not much trouble on the right. Okay, let's shift our target line. So my target lines became really important. Mm. Um, kind of like you know a back left pin. Hey, I'm not good at hitting that low skipping shot. Let me play within myself and hit just a normal shot in the middle of the green and two buffer par. When I know that there's three, four, five, six birdie opportunities coming in, instead of just trying to focus on like every single hole is like, this is a bird, It's got to be birdie. It's got to be birdie. Which I think mm. growing up. It was, you know, make a birdie or it's, it's, it's a bust. And uh, I think that's kind of what Corn Fairy is. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's, you see guys winning at 25 under par, right? You, you do, you might think that, yeah, you got to make birdie every hole, but it's, you don't make birdie every hole by going at every single pin and then hitting driver in every single hole. So there's different ways to get there. And I think that's the understanding of that, especially for, say, a, a four handicap, right? I'm sure if I was following the four handicap around a golf course, he could shoot even par.
2: Mm-hmm. You got the
1: like you're talented enough on your good holes to do that every single time. Consistency is obviously an issue, and some courses that may not suit your eye. But it's course management at that point. It's knowing, okay, I got 270 yards, 265 to clear the water on a par five. Every single golfer, every single amateur golfer, I don't care how good you are, you're taking your three wood and you're trying to go for it. Yeah, that might be fun and cool and everything, but you know, making a birdie by laying up and hitting a wedge to 15 feet and rolling that in might feel a lot better after the fact.
0: Yeah, it's funny you say that, James. We've had plenty of Corn Fairy guys on the show. I don't know if you know them, but Chris Nagel we've had on the show is a bit older than you. Um Jared Hack, who had the crazy low rounds, um fifty seven, I think he shot. Um and I would say, and this extends to guys like Keith Mitchell and PJ Torpos we've had on the show, like they all say kind of similar things. And it's within the theme of aggressive to conservative targets.
1: 100%.
0: And that's kind of what you just described. But it's ironic because mentally, if you see the week before that the winner was 25 under, you might feel the pressure to not play, cons- quote, conservative. So talk me through that balance a little bit.
1: I think that was what I struggled with a little bit um, in my first couple of years because I would look up a previous. Round previous years total and i'd be like 27 under par all right let's go try to shoot 60 in the first round let's go try to just you know birdie every single golf hole because if i don't i'm not gonna win
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then i missed a couple cuts and then what, i think it was in missouri i think i shot like three under two under four under eight under and i finished 11th or something like that And i was like wow i didn't feel like i shot that 60 every single round but i still finished 11th um, you know, I kind of plotted my way around the golf course and then I had one good round to finish, right? So mm. all it is is that one good round and then combined with a bunch of other really solid rounds instead of shooting, you know, eight, 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 eight. Right. So.
0: Yeah, I, I was looking at your finishes and you're right. It, the ones where there's cuts, there's like a 75, right? Because your margin to make that up is so tough. But your 68s or your 70s mixed with the low round, your top 25, even exactly. on the corn ferry.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, in Springfield, Missouri last year, I shot, I think it was nine under in the final round to go from 52nd to 13th.
2: Mm.
1: When it's like, okay, hey, if you had, you know obviously if I missed the cut, I wouldn't be there, but I stuck in and then I did have that one good round that propelled me that full way. If the day before I shot even far, if I shot three under, I would have won. So the margins are really small, but you got to kind of stay in it.
0: Got a brand new partner that you guys are going to absolutely love. I guarantee it. So I got a bold statement here before I get into this. I believe that one of the most, if not the most, most underrated piece of apparel or garment that we wear during golf rounds is the belt. I think the belt can make or break the round of golf. And Hank was actually joking with me off air. He said that he wears the same belt for everything. And I realized I was kind of doing the same thing. I kind of had this like gray woven stretchy belt that I I liked for golf. And I kind of wore it for everything. And it's kind of funny. It's like I'm not in college anymore. You know, like obviously I have a dress belt for when I go to a wedding or something. But other than that, I pretty much use the same belt for everything. And I think my belt was kind of just like an add on, it was more functional it wasn't really adding much to the outfit. So you could wear something pretty standard striped shirt, khaki shorts, but the belt could actually make a little, make your outfit with like a little bit of flair, you know, and that's what I love. And that this is why we started working with Rooster's belts. Okay. Rooster's belts. We met at the PGA show and we told them, we said, you know, The Partrain family needs a belt sponsor. We need a belt partner that we genuinely love. We need the best belts out there, and Roostas was that for us, okay? They make unbelievable belts, and I think the best belts out there, okay? I actually got, so I got two of them. I got the Oahu belt, which is a black belt with little white specks in them, and I got the Bandon, which is a subtle green with white accents. Now, here's how I chose the belts. Obviously, it's tough in a podcast to figure out what they look like, so I want you to go to shoproostas.com, that's R-O-O-S-T-A-S, Roostas, shoproostas.com, enter the code TRAIN, you get 15% off your entire order, plus free shipping. Okay, that's big. Now, here was what was in my mind selecting my belts, okay? I wanted something that would pretty much go with everything, but can give me that little piece of flair, add and elevate my outfit just a little bit. You know, if you want to go obnoxious, they have those options too. Obnoxious probably isn't the word, probably more flashy, right? But I wanted something that adds a little bit of flash, but it isn't super loud. You know, it's more subdued. So I went with the Oahu, which is black with white specs and the Bannon with green. And I think I'm gonna probably wear the bandon to the masters, but they are super stretchy, high quality. Uh, it's actually two-toned woven elastic stretch belts with a crossing pattern braid. Uh, if that's what you get, the buckles 100% genuine leather and alloy zinc um, for the metal piece and guys, they are they've got a bunch of colors that align kind of with different colleges and I'm telling you I'm really excited about sharing this with you guys cuz I know you're going to absolutely love it and it's probably the thing in your ensemble. I know a lot of you are buying roback stuff. This is the way to elevate your roback outfits and elevate your outfit, okay? I'm telling you go to shoproostas.com, enter the code TRAIN, get 15% off your entire order plus free shipping. And elevate that outfit. Look good, feel good, play good, baby. I'm telling you, again, genuinely from the bottom of my heart, we are only bringing people on this show as partners that we know that you will love, okay? I go through, I take every product that wants to work with us and I take it through rigorous testing and make sure it's top-notch quality and something I genuinely want to wear. And Roostas is now my go-to belt. And... A lot of people are DMing us all the time saying they can't believe how good this stuff is uh, when we share Roback and other things. And it just makes me laugh that people don't believe me. So I'm telling you, I would not steer you wrong. Okay, shoproostas.com, enter the code TRAIN, get yourself 15% off, plus free shipping. You guys will not regret it. All right, let's get back to the show. Help me dig in on you, James, as a player for a second. Like what what would you call your biggest weapon as a player? And what is your biggest vulnerability as a player right now?
1: Yeah, I think that it's kind of still that inconsistency from my college days. I still don't have enough, not enough reps, but I don't have the same amount of tournament reps that these guys do. They've been doing this their whole lives. So I think that, I mean, two three or four weeks ago, I shot seventy-nine, sixty-one 79-61 in the, in the Bogota Corn Ferry Tour event. So it's like dude, what are you doing? Like what changed between those two days? Not nothing really, right? Mm -hmm. A couple putts went in early in the second round and I got that confidence. And then the first round, I saw a couple putts miss and then you lose that confidence. And there's no real skill difference between those two rounds. It's just a, you can call it a a mental thing or a confidence thing or what it it is. But I think just having that consistency is my biggest shortcoming. But right now I just need to get more consistent, right? My good rounds are good enough. I just got to do more of those. Um, and then my biggest weapon would be my putting and my driving. Um, when I put, when I drive it well, um, I hit it pretty far and straight. And then I usually putt pretty good too. So that's like, that's my most successful my game is my putting.
0: Well, I wasn't going to bring up the tournament in Columbia until a little bit later. But since you brought it up, <laughs> let's talk about that. Cause I'm sure that's probably one of the first things you usually get asked about. Um, one thing we've talked a lot about on this show, I've made videos about it, is it seems like, as golfers, we have this vicious cycle of we have low expectations, we swing, swing free, we play well, but playing well raises expectations. We go into the next round with high expectations, we play poorly, we play well, we play poorly, f- kind of following the high and low expectations. This story, I'm sure a lot of people have heard about it, but if they haven't, I actually think this story is super relatable and there's a lot of potential richness here so it's fascinating you say not a lot was different but talk me through the day the first day 79 did you just not feel great was your body a little off were you getting some bad bounces how were you mentally talk us through day one
1: just for the people who don't know i have conditional status in coin free tour which basically means i am subject to the reshuffle so a couple good weeks in a row i will play every event the rest of the year a couple bad weeks in a row i won't get into any of the fields so Mm. This is my first start and likely my last start as well if I didn't play well. So I go there with all these expectations, like, hey, let's go play great. We're going to turn this for around. This is going to be a great week for me. Let's do it. You know, manifesting some positive positive thoughts, doing Mm -hmm. all the right things. Get there. Great practice rounds. Feeling good. Game's good. Hit my first tee shot right down the middle. You know, no nerves. Just like, okay, let's get going. Um, You know, three-putt my first green. Did I hit a bad first putt? I didn't think so. I just kind of rolled out way further than I thought. One of those things where hey you get on the green maybe something happened but it wasn't a mental thing wasn't a physical thing i just misjudged the mm-hmm. uh the speed of the putt, and that happens you know gets the next hole hit a great drive hit a good second shot three putt again and i'm like i haven't three putted you know twice in a, in a turn around in the corn tour yet yeah, i just did it you know my first round back my first two holes so mm-hmm. um again i didn't have the feel in the greens my first couple first couple holes i missed a short one for birdie in the next had a good look for birdie in the next missed that one. And so I was just like, okay, we got to take a step back. I'm hitting the ball great, but I'm two over par through five holes. What's going on?
2: Mm.
1: And again, like I kept, I kept hitting, I kept having chances after chance after chance after chance, and I just didn't have, it wasn't like I had straight putts. The greens are really, really, really fast there, and they're kind of bumpy. And I was having these really big arcing putts, and they were just missed low, and then just missed high, and then just missed low. And to me, when I'm not putting well, like I just, I lose confidence, because that's something that I'm always good at, and I always do well. Mm. But it didn't. I didn't let it phase me. I was like, all hey, let's keep going." Made bogey, I think, on 17, and at that point, I was like, "Oh god, let, let's make something happen." So 18 has this big risk-reward shot where you can hit it right at the tree, um, but then you got to go over other trees, and then you have an iron into this par five. So I was like, "Let's just do it." Kind of cloudy, cloudy thinking. Was thinking about like, hey, "I am over par. Let's just try to get. Let's try to make something happen here." Ended up nicking a tree, dropped in the fairway. And it was an impossible to get a yardage, so I hit two walls in the water because I didn't know how far it was. I mean, mm. I, I had an idea, but it wasn't right. Made triple bogey, went from shooting you know, three, four over, that's 79, eight over. And it was frustrating because I was like, okay, I didn't think it was that bad. Shooting three or four over, I'm still in it. But I made right. that triple, and that, now, now I'm done. Not done, but you know, I got to go shoot 59 to make the cut. Right. And like you said, you have all these expectations, and you're so confident going into this round. And then you you miss a couple putts early, and you like lose all of that. Right. So it was it was difficult. Um, I'm usually really really good mentally, so I don't think I let those first couple affect the rest of the round. I kept hitting it great, kept kept hitting good putts. But to look up and then not be tracking is just tough because I feel like I had good putts and I just misread it, and I'd misread it, and I hit a bad or then I read it right, hit a bad putt. So it was a combination of those kind of things on the 61. You take a step back, you're like, okay, I have nothing to lose, right? Why, right. Can't, why can't I start every single tournament if I got nothing to lose? Like, golf is just golf,
2: it's right. not life, right? And
1: that's something I think I'm trying to learn more and more. Um, I've got somebody who's doing the PJ Tour now, and I look at like what's their mindset, and it just seems like they don't care,
2: mm-hmm. you
1: know. I'll, I'll like, I'm not gonna name names, but like, my one of my really close friends I played with on Fairy Tour all last year, and he won a couple events, and now his PJ Tour card. And I'd be like, dude, like that's sick. Like you won. Like that's so cool. And you'd be like, yeah, it was good. Like, had a good week.
0: Is he a, is he a southern guy?
1: No, he's actually not. And oh, I was really? like, okay. yeah. And to me, I'm like, that is so cool. If I, you know, when I win, I'm gonna go nuts. Like whether I care or not, it's like that is a huge thing for me. Um, I just need to have that mindset on the course that I don't care, if that makes mm. sense.
2: Yeah. Um, well, that's
0: interesting that you know. I think the first thing I pick out from what you said is people may see a 79 on a Tour Pro scorecard and think to themselves, whoa, man, he really made a mess that day, right? But what's funny is you really didn't. Like, if you actually think about the round, it sounds like it's one of those rounds where you were doing everything kind of like you would have liked. And greens were tough to to read get a feel for you just didn't have a great feel it was just one of those days that putts don't go in the the balls in weird spots um the the holes on in weird spots and you would have been like you said three to four over and been in it you know if you shoot a good round the next day
2: yeah
0: and you made uh, a mistake on 18 and that snowballed and that took uh you know, seventy-five or seventy-six to a seventy-nine.
1: Yeah, and, I mean exactly.
0: But a lot of people would have seen that on the scorecard and thought to themselves, I lost it. Like what an I'm an idiot. What did I just do? Mm-hmm. You know, but but it didn't seem like you had that the next day.
1: Yeah, you know, I I went back to the hotel, I wrote in my Instagram story, I was like I took 10 minutes to be upset, disappointed, angry, whatever it was. I said, I'm going to give myself 10 minutes, put a timer on one in the bathroom and just like stood in the shower. I was like, all right, whatever I want to do or whatever, yell, scream, whatever it is, do it now. Because once we, once we're done, we're going to recheck, we're going to, I call it check back in. And that's something that my mental coach for football in college was like, check, check back in, check back in. Mm. I would check back in. Um, Into this tournament. So, hey, it wasn't over. I don't believe it's ever over. Even if we got to shoot 54 tomorrow, I'm gonna go try my best to do it. So, check back in, got dinner, got a good night's sleep, did all my same recovery stuff, went to the course the next morning, same warm up, same everything. Hit hit a horrible first tee shot. I snap hooked my first tee shot. It was the first bad drive I hit all week. And I was like, oh boy, like, (laughs) here we go. Like, we're already in last. What are we gonna do now? And, um, you know, hit a good wedge. Missed the putt, I was okay. I felt really good over that putt. I hit my line again
2: mm-hmm. and
1: then made a couple. It was like two or three under through six or seven. Made a bogey on eight, or I think it was eight, it was a part three. And then birdie on nine, birdie on 10, birdie on 11, just kind of kept going. And then once I had, once I saw, see, once I started to see those putts go in, I started getting more aggressive with my.
0: Oh, so did you ball. tee off the back that day?
1: I think it was the back. Yeah, because I finished on nine.
0: Because I thought you bogeyed 17. But no. you must have started on the back. Okay, I was looking exactly. at it before.
1: Yeah, so I so I made that bogey. But again, like I flagged it. It landed six feet from the pin, took a forward bounce, and then plugged on the bounce in the bunker, mm. and then I like, chunked it out of the bunker and got up and down for bogey. And I was just like, I didn't even hit a bad shot there, and you know made a bogey. But I didn't let that phase me. I was like, all right, let's just keep going, because um, I had to. Right, the mindset wasn't let's go shoot 68 and then miss a the cut by seven. It Was let's try to go shoot 59 and make the cut. And you know, on the last hole, I was standing on the tee, and everyone was like, Oh, do you have a chance for 59? And I was like, I don't even, I'm not even thinking about that. I'm just trying to, I'm like, I'm two shots off the cut line. Yeah. And I tried to hold my tee is a driver par four. I tried to hold it. I think I missed by like three or four feet. The guy was saying by the green, hit this like low runner. I, it didn't end up close, but I was trying to give it a go. So, not, not a definitely one of my proudest moments shooting that 61 after that 79 because. A lot of guys, especially on the tour, would just kind of ship it in and be like, hey, I'm just either going to withdraw or I'm just going to book an early flight and just try to finish as fast as I can. And I was like, hey, I'm going to book the flight because in all likelihood, right, I can always change it. But right. my goal is to cancel that flight, right? Hmm. I'm, not, I'm not worrying about missing it. I'm just going to, you know, I always have my options open, but I'm going to try to go out there and play as good as I can and we'll add it up at the end. And funny enough, my caddy actually got he you know, had some stomach issues after the first night. In Colombia, so well, I remember he, seeing this. he caddied for me the first round, and then he was in bed all day the second round. And, you know, we're making making jokes saying that he was a problem <laughs> and all that good stuff, but it was fun.
0: Amazing. So, let's actually unpack, James. You said when you started on the Corn Ferry, you had the mindset of I have to try and shoot sixty, yeah. and it didn't work. You're missing cuts, but the second day, you said let's go try and shoot a 59 and you got pretty close. So unpack the differences of the first few tournaments versus this one.
1: Yeah. Well, I think that the, 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 in in the beginning, I had the mindset of look, or I, I was looking at the entire tournament and trying to shoot 20 under in the first 18 holes, if that makes sense. Yep. And trying to push too hard when I didn't need to, um, trying to make, not, not make eagles on every single hole but have that mindset where if i don't oh that's it i think when i shot this 61 the nine under this time i didn't care about shooting 59 right i wanted that was my end goal that was my end goal to make the cut but i was just trying to hit each shot and you hear this all the time hit each shot to the best of my ability mm-hmm. i wasn't focused on okay i got three par fives left i got drive a par four okay that's four more birdies i can make like that's that's 5-0, oh, but I made bogey on 17, so that's only, it's not going to add up, right? I, I was just trying to you know, do the best I can every shot, and my, my mindset and my motto is control the controllables, and that's something that helps me stay in the moment, um, and I think everyone needs something, whether, you know, whatever motto or whatever phrase, whatever word it is, everyone's got to have something. For me, it's control the controllables, so I stand over every putt now, control the controllables, which means start line and speed. That's the only thing as a putter that I can control.
2: Yep. If
1: the putt goes in, great. But we're putting on imperfect surfaces, right? So sometimes it's just not gonna go in, even if you had a perfect putt, but
2: right. that's
1: not in your control. So some people will get frustrated at that and that makes them go into a spiral effect. But for me, if I hit a good putt or what I think is a good putt and it doesn't go in, on to the next one. Right? Yeah. At the end we can we can look back and be like, okay, I missed a lot of putts left today. Was that a coincidence or did I have something going on my stroke? But during the round, there's no, there's no time for that.
0: Totally. I mean, we had, uh, I don't know if you know who Ward Jarvis is, but he's this uh, mental coach for Brennan Todd who helped bring Brennan Todd back from almost quitting the tour to, you know, winning back to back and now competing. It seems like every week. Um, and something Ward told us, he's been on the show a few times. He said, you can't want your way to the finish line. Mm -hmm. like." and something we talk a lot about on this show is things might feel true. You know, it might be true to you. You wanna win, you wanna do well, you wanna perform. But to your point of check-in, if you check in and say, yeah, but does that help me get there? Does that thought, is that thought my best strategy? Is that thought a productive strategy to help get there? Maybe not in the moment. You can set your goals, And have that be your driving force every day as you're working towards, you know, maybe your first win or working towards this many top tens or whatever the goals are. But thinking in the moment, like you were saying, of thinking about every hole, planning ahead, that's only creating tension and getting in your way. So isn't it fascinating that the tournament that you said, I have nothing to lose, you probably shot close to a course record,
2: (laughs) if
1: not
0: the course record?
1: It it is it is crazy, right? Because it's like you just shot 79 the day before. You. Your game should be bad, right? right? It shouldn't be good. Um, but I do, you know, what you were saying. I think that I resonate a lot with that. Is that my problem early in my career was I tried too hard, and still, I still I tried too hard. Mm-hmm. Um, in golf, you can't, like, you know, in football and hockey, if you are having a bad game, you can just put in that extra grit or like put in that extra stride or whatever it is. You can try harder, and you're just going to be better. Right. You might not be as skilled, or like make, but you can be. You can be better. You can put in the effort, and you'll be better. Golf. If you put in that extra effort, it might actually work against you. You stand over a five-foot putt that is for par, and you're like, "Okay, I got to make this. I need to make this. I got." And you're, um, you're trying everything. You're gonna put all this tension, like you said, into your into your stroke, and you're just not gonna hit the best stroke you can, rather than just letting things happen. Doing, you know, controlling the controllables and doing what you practice, and then letting it happen.
0: I bet you 95% of you, if I asked you to take a deep breath right now, your shoulders would probably go up. That means your chest breathing. The way to take yourself out of stress and into a state of calm is actually through diaphragmatic breathing or using your belly. Isn't it crazy that we all breathe without having to think about it, but we're unknowingly putting ourselves into an unnecessary amount of stress on and off the golf course simply by the way we're breathing? Well, Good news, okay, one of our new partners, Neuropeak Pro, they work with Jordan Spieth, Bryson DeChambeau, Kirk Cousins the NFL, and so many others to help them with what they call precision breathing. Spieth actually calls it the scientific way to get in the zone. Now, you may think this is just another heart rate monitor because, you know, I was fooled at first too, but it's not. Let me explain. The Neuropeak Pro Intel Belt is the first of its kind real-time training device, training in caps, Okay and mobile app designed to help unlock peak performance through better more intentional breathing. They call it precision breathing, okay? So it's a trainer, not a tracker. It wraps around your torso underneath your chest and you literally do breath training and in real time you can see your breath and heart's performance performance against the optimal state you're training for. Kind of like I was thinking about it, it's kind of like when NBC Sports puts the world record time against a swim race in the Olympics, and it helps kind of see where they're at. That's exactly what Neuropeak Pro does with the Intel Belt. So let me keep it simple here. Here's what I've been most amazed by so far while I've been using the Intel Belt. The thing that you wear on the torso, it actually picks up the physical movement in your diaphragm. And it took almost a year to figure out how to pick up diaphragmatic movement. I know it sounds simple, but to actually measure to the T, like how much your belly is contributing to the breath. And it's not only that, it's tracking every single breath, but the quality of that breath. So it's showing me how my belly is doing. And it gives me little guidance tips along the way. So like my data is a little low so far. I've got some ways to go, but in one of my metrics... It'll say something like the closer you can get this number to 100, the better. And mine's at like a 52 so far. Um, So as I practice, it's telling me how I'm doing. And it gives me this North Star metric, which I really liked. So the key here is if you want to learn how to get in the zone in seconds, not just by chance, but actually train it. And in seconds, you go to neuropeakpro.com order the Intel belt, enter the code train. It'll give you a free annual subscription for Partrain listeners only. And I'm telling you the idea of being able to actually practice so that no matter what situation you go into on and off the course of stress, nerves, anxiety, to be able to have that tracker alongside you while you breathe to know exactly, okay, this is how it feels when I'm breathing. Well, but maybe that's not the optimum way to do it. The app is showing me, okay, I can be deeper, my breaths can be a little bit smoother. Maybe I'm holding my breath. I didn't even realize it. That's something I did. NeuroPeak Pro graphs all of that out for you in real time while you're breathing. So it's really amazing. I now know why Jordan Spieth and Bryson DeChambeau are paying them, not the other way around. So go to NeuroPeakPro.com, enter the go, tra- enter the code Train. And get a free subscription with your intel belt. All right, now let's get back to the show. How did you feel that day of the 61? Yeah. Very calm, collected, present. I was having fun. Having fun.
1: You know, I watched, uh, I had dinner with Gigi, uh, George Gankis. Gigi's yeah. He's been and on the show. His big thing is get external. And oh, yeah. my, my agent is um, also his agent. He was telling me, he's like, hey, go get, a, get external out there, keep your head up. Look at the birds, look at the trees, look at the wind, do whatever, but don't walk with your head down. And I was just trying to enjoy it. I was playing with JT Griffin, his good buddy of mine. We were like making jokes, having fun. And I was just enjoying it, right? And that's something that you, I want to have every single round. Do I know? I'm not perfect. I have, you know, room for growth. And I think that I need to find that round and that enjoyment and do that every single time. And hopefully from the start next time.
0: Funny timing. Did you see my post today on Instagram by chance of external versus internal? I didn't see it. Okay. So um, I'm getting certified right now with mental golf type. I don't know if you've heard of mental golf type, but they essentially have modeled the Myers-Briggs system, but for golf specifically. So you take a free quiz, you get your mental golf type, right? And if you benefit from going external, you're likely an extrovert. So what we talk about, and I just did the post on today, which is funny, uh, extroverts, when they're going through stress, go inward. So that's why when you've played poorly, you're probably quiet. You're probably don't feel like being the center of attention. You don't feel like being in the conversation, head down, right? Introverts go external. So that's why like Tiger would slam his club or get outwardly angry. Um, Now, That's great that Gank has told you that because the solution to get yourself out of that is actually to go external. So engaging in conversation, asking questions, focusing on them, looking at nature, picking out things in the distance. That's interesting. And there are people now through working with mental golf type that that simple shift of obviously we talk about, you know, mental keys and focusing on execution instead of meaning and all of this stuff. But simply focusing on your energy management through your extroversion or introversion and going external or internal can literally change the way that people play.
1: Wow. Yeah. That's what a coincidence.
0: That's so funny. (laughs) I actually noticed the same thing when I shot a 78 and it had been a little while. I'm a six since I'd broken 80. Mm -hmm. I was kind of yucking it up with my buddies um, the whole time and I was kind of pushing them and it's amazing the impact uh, that that can have. So James, let me ask you this just real quick and I can put a bow in this and go into other things, but it sounds like to me, the difference between your first few corn ferry events of feeling like you had to go low versus in Colombia when you said, let's go low, similar statements, but it seems like they had different feelings to them. One probably felt fully detached because of your reality of knowing that you're likely gonna miss the cut. Whereas the first one probably had more tension and obligation tied to it, where you said, All right, let's go low, but there was a belief and energy behind it that if I don't go low, I'm falling behind.
1: Yeah, I think it was also in addition to that was let's also just make the cut. So oh, wanting wanting to go low, but knowing that I was in a position where I need to reshuffle up. So let's just make the cut so we just get some points. So it's mm. like you have these different dynamics working against each other where you're trying to win the event, but you're also just trying to make the cut. So, which are two completely different things, right. To get to just, just to get points. And you can't tell yourself, Hey, I'm here to win. I'm here to win. I'm here to win. And then think, okay, where's the cut line. I need to get the cut. I need to make the cut that way I can get points. And then once you're in the weekend, like look, at my scores, I had a lot of really consistent early rounds, but then I had some really low weekend rounds. And I feel like now I'm in a position where I can have those early on and then give myself a chance to win rather than just waiting for the weekend. And then, hey, that's giving me from 40th to eighth.
2: Interesting. So
0: So after your 61 experience, do you feel like trying to go low helps you go low? Or do you think that plugging along and giving yourself, like, are you more focused on chances? Where if you give yourself more looks... You end up going low without even really trying to go low.
1: I, yeah, I think I think me wanting to go, I always want to go low, right? And that's always going to be my mindset. But giving me, giving myself the chances is what actually leads to shooting low scores. Yeah. Not you know not going at every single pin. It's actually playing away from pins, and giving myself the right looks and not making bogeys. So I feel like if I say I go play around tomorrow and I'm like I want to try to shoot 18 under. I have to hit drive in every single hole and I have to go for every single pin. I will probably pl- shoot a worse score than me going to the course, being like, okay, let's just go potter ourselves around the course the- in the best way that I can. I think that's the best way to explain it.
2: Yeah. No, it makes
0: total sense. I mean, everything we've heard from other pros is in line with that. Um, even when guys go super low, it's like we had a plus five on the show. That's like a top amateur in Illinois that told me <laughs> verbatim birdies are accidents. And this is like a guy that's in the US mid AM and been yeah. a decorated amateur. Like, do you feel that birdies are happy accidents?
1: Sometimes. I mean, there's a whole, you know, I can, there's a bunch of different holes that I can name right now where that I have birdied that I wasn't being like, okay, let's make a birdie here. Right. It was, okay, we're gonna hit, Two iron out to the left side, keep it away from like the OB on the right or whatever it is, mm-hmm. and then we're gonna hit it to the middle of the green, and you have a twenty, thirty, forty footer, and then sometimes they go in. It just percentages. Right? They sometimes right. they go in, and when they do go in, it's an accident. You're you were trying to lag it up there to just tap in for your par and get out of there, and right. you make that good birdie.
0: Yeah, totally. We say on the show a lot like there's times you miss a fairway make a birdie. There's times you hit the fairway perfectly and make bogey.
1: Yeah. So
0: this whole like feeling of I have to, I have to do this so that I can do this is getting yeah. in all of our ways.
1: And there's something to be said too. I think I make the most birdies from the trees out of anyone I know. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I feel okay. like I'm that way too. I think, honestly, I think everyone is, by the way, yeah. you lose all expectation An expectation of right. golf. I feel like is just, it's horrible because you're okay. I've got, I hit a 320 yard drive in the middle of the fair. I've got a lob wedge and I should, or I have to make a birdie. Right. Whereas, hey, I just slice the driver into the trees two feet from out of bounds. Now I'm maneuvering like a low punch cut five iron, um, and I, you know, you somehow hit it to seven feet. You're like, oh, this would be a steal, and that seven footer is way easier than the seven footer you had from the wedge it. Yep. And like, where's the difference? Right there shouldn't be because it's just a seven footer of the same break. Why is there a difference in the way you're thinking?
0: Yep. Yeah, that's what's so funny about the mental game is a lot of people that are unfamiliar with it or new with it think that it's like mantras and sitting on the tee box with our legs crossed breathing you know but a lot of times it's simple beliefs and feelings that you get over shots purely because of this preconceived statement you're saying to yourself that you probably don't even realize you're saying unless you it sounds like you, uh, you you have pretty good awareness practice of catching yourself uh when you say certain things or have a certain belief but yeah, yeah. I've, I've experienced that in member guests you know which is like my corn fairy <laughs> which yeah. is like you know telling your partner back and forth this past year we made a mistake constantly telling each other what we got to do you know <laughs> oh he went to the trees we got to make at least par because you're getting a pop here yeah you know it just changed the whole f- feeling of the hole whereas if I would have played it normal I probably would have tried to hit still the middle of the green but I would have had a better chance to make par
1: I, I my dad is I play with a lot of member guests with my dad and father-son events, and I never tell him which shots he gets which holes he gets shots on. Yeah. And he plays way better on those holes than if I had told him. Yeah. Because again, you change the way you play. Right. So
0: let me ask you a random question. This is something that I've uh, been thinking a lot about with my game. I'm curious your thoughts. I think it'll help other people, but how important is knowing where the club face is? For you? Like, what is your level of club face awareness? And how important is that to you? I'll explain in a, a second, it, but I want to start yeah.
1: there. I think it's different for everyone. Like, my roommate, Christian, um, he always wants to feel the club head. He always said, Feel the club head. I can feel where it is in my swing. For me, I have no idea. Mm. I mean, I, I know where it is, but I have no idea, and I don't care where it is because all for me that matters is my arms. My arms get stuck behind me, my right elbow gets stuck. So I'm just constantly thinking about getting my arms out in front and obviously your arms connected to your club and that's your club's club face. Um, so in, for me, I don't really think about it. Um, I will do slow motion swings where I say, Hey, make sure my club face is square. But at this point I've, I've practiced so much that I know my face is going to be for the most part square. Yeah. Maybe one degree close one degree open at an impact, but I have pretty good face control. Okay. Without having to think about it.
2: Yeah. I asked
0: just because, you know, I recently tried something new. I've never really f- had a consistent takeaway feel. Um, it's something I've always tinkered with. And, uh, I felt something that I was trying, it was working, but I didn't realize that this takeaway feel was opening and rolling the face open mm. and it was coming in super open and I was losing a ton of yardage and super inconsistent and I was like, Oh, I really had no idea. And people talk a lot about face control and face awareness. But I noticed with you, James, because I take it really deep as well with my right elbow. It's probably from, I played baseball my whole life before golf yeah. and um, I noticed with you, correct me if I'm wrong, you don't have a ton of wrist hinge.
1: Zero, and I think that's why I don't feel the face, right? Because my face is I'm the same mm-hmm. way. Yeah.
0: So I wanted to ask you, a lot of people talk about wrist hinge and i've for my i played for 17 years forever it's like well i do my feel i do my backswing and i'm at the top and like i don't even know what wrist hinge feels like <laughs> and i've just i i don't see many tour pros like that and so i wanted to hear from you like how has that been for you is that something that people have tried to tell you to have or cuz yeah, you feel point. very one piece
1: yeah, my coach, Gary Weir, um, we've done a lot of video analysis and I actually, so I have no wrist hinge until the end in the transition. That's where my wrist hinge and set. Mm. So I do set, but I set very, very late. And if you look and I'm not comparing my swing to Jack's or Tiger's, but look at, go look at Jack and Tiger's swing in their heyday. It's a late set. They risk, they, they set their wrist a little more than I do as well, but it's a late set um In transition for me, there's a couple other guys on board that do it really well. But again, like it, it's, there's look at Matthew Wolf's swing and Jim Furek's swing and then Adam Scott's swing and Colin Marcella's swing. They're all different. Yeah. So some coaches would say, hey, you need to hinge your wrist. And maybe you do, right? Maybe that's good for your swing. But for me, I don't need to think about that. I never will. I just think about width. And that gets me my speed is, is staying really wide and loose throughout the swing.
0: Yeah. I've struggled with width as well. And I'm actually, I'm working with Jake Thurm, PJ tour coach, we've had him on the show. So I'm like trying to get as much as I can um, yeah. from a learning standpoint that I can share. And I found it challenging to feel wide because I would let my left arm bend, not to get too technical on swing yeah, stuff, but- it's like, um, it, it
1: couldn't bend. If you feel wide, it should be dead straight, right? And you should be reaching across.
0: Right, so that's the thing is like, I would feel like I'm pushing out you know, and yeah. feeling extended, but it was very difficult to feel loose and also extended. Mm-hmm. Is that a challenge for you or is it just so natural at this point?
1: Not anymore. So I made this big change when I was in, going from football to golf because when I played football, I was 211 pounds, um, didn't have that width, was very, if you believe me, I was very, I had a lot of wrist change in my swing mm. and I was very in tight and around my body. I hit it nowhere. Um, that was when I was the strongest, I was the strongest I've ever been. And then I lost that weight, got more flexible and I worked on just getting with, and at that time it felt weird, but now it's, I mean, I don't even think about it. I just swing.
2: Yeah, totally.
0: So I know we're, we're almost at time, but let's finish talking about Monday qualifiers a little bit. Cause I know you're doing a lot of those right now. Uh, and the feeling of a Monday qualifier is actually kind of similar to a corn fairy event. In the sense of just you know what you you kind of have to do and can you do it so how is your mindset different going into a monday qualifier and before you answer that maybe give people some context on like how monday qualifiers work how many people they take
1: yeah so the way um i mentioned earlier that i have conditional status um, which means i'm basically guaranteed zero starts but there are ways to get in the fields whether it's sponsors invites which is sending a letter to the tournament director and having the committee either pick you or don't pick you. And there's four of those that are for each event, and then there's eight spots for Monday qualifying. Four, and then the eight are split up into four at each site, and there's two sites. Um, usually between 80 to 150 guys compete on the same course for these four spots, and it usually takes between six and eight under is usually the number to make it through. And that's usually a playoff, a pretty big playoff. Mm-hmm. So again, you're starting, in the first tee and you're like, okay, I got to go shoot seven, eight or nine under to guarantee my spot, you know, guarantee my spot for the event.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And This is huge because for guys like me, if I Monday qualify or when i Monday qualify and play well in the event, then I don't have to Monday qualify anymore because I'll have made enough points where I shuffle up into the position where I get into the event on my own. So going back, I started on 2019, I got through Q school, I uh, had conditional status, and then COVID hit. And my number, meaning getting into tournaments on my number alone, instead of having Monday qualify, went way down. So my only chance of getting in was Monday qualifying. You know, I worked really hard through COVID. I was able to get outdoors and practice a lot. And then the first Monday qualified back, I uh, started really well, I was 600 through seven. And then there was a huge rain delay and I was standing with a four footer to get um, to seven through eight on the eighth hole and we're inside and I'll never forget everyone's like asking me how I played. I'm just like sitting there minding my own business, not talking to anybody, just kind of whatever, talking about football or whatever it is. hockey. And my buddy's like, Hey, how you playing? And I was like, Oh, playing good. And he goes, no, no, no. Like, what are you at? And I was like, no, I'm playing good. He goes, no. Like, what are you at? I go, I got a putt to go seven through eight. And like the whole room went dead silent and looked at me. Um, And it was like one of the funniest moments of my life because I was like, I'd never been in a position where I was actually going to Monday qualify, but I still had 12, you know, 12 plus golf, 10 10 golfers, 10 plus golfers to play. Uh, Long story short, I ended up making that putt to get through seven through eight. And then I was, I wasn't like, okay, we're done. Cause I would played some Monday qualifiers in the past. And once you get to seven under par, you don't stop. You got to keep going. Right. So got to eight, got to nine. And then I was like, okay, I think we're pretty good at nine i never forgot the next two holes. I hit two good drives, two good iron shots, and had two 10-footers for par for a birdie, and I left both of them dead short in the jaws because I was timid. I was like, okay, let's just lag it out there, make a par, and get mm-hmm. on. And I looked at myself. and was like, what am, I, what am I doing? Like, let's go. Let's keep going. I ended up birding the last two holes to so shoot 11, and I medaled by five. So I honestly thought shooting 11 that it might have still been in the playoff. That's how good players are in pro golf, Wow, shooting 11 under par and thinking that there's going to be at least three or four, or at least four of the guys that shoot the same score. And that's just the, the Monday qualifier our mindset. You got to go out and you can't think about shooting a number. You just got to go as low as you can. You know, that's just what it is. And it's brutal. You know, you go out there, you shoot six under and you're like, oh, hey, better luck next week. And you're like, oh, you're not even a playoff. You're like, nope. Like, here's three eights and uh, three sevens. Seven's a playoff. I think yeah. last week it was a nine and eight, an eight and eight and seven. Sixes were where, you know, it's like, it's tough. You got to go out and play well. Well,
0: it's funny, James. Even you said, even at 11, you thought maybe you were going to be in a playoff. So isn't it funny? Yeah. I feel like a main takeaway from our conversation today is like all of that energy we're using to try and like predict and control. It's like this energy, a feeling of gripping on. You know, this attachment yeah. to it. It's just draining. And at the end of the day, it's like, it's a golf shot. You've hit a million of them. It's another golf shot on a hole. Do the best you can with the shot at hand, like you said. Yeah. And let's see where the cards fall at the end. You know, you're but okay all, five yeah. Under, five yeah, it's yeah. all the same thing. So like all of this, like perceived notion of control doesn't really help you. It sounds like.
1: Yeah, it works against you. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm still trying to get to the point where, hey, if I play in a Monday qualifier and I'm seven under with four holes left, I shouldn't be thinking, okay, hey, let's just get it into the clubhouse because I think it's got a really good chance. It's hey, we got four golf holes left. Let's see how good we can do in those four holes. Yeah. And that's really, really hard when you when you think about a Monday qualifier can change my life because I'm gonna get into the field and I'm gonna play well, then I'm gonna be into the next couple of weeks and then I'm gonna get my PJ tour card. Right? your mind starts going. right. And mine does. It, it's hard to shut it off. It's hard to stop thinking about that. The only way for me to stop that is to say control the controllables and just really all con, like I don't care if, if six guys go shoot at eleven. All I can do is is my best in my round doing this shot right now that I'm about to hit, right? So again, Thinking and trying to stay in the moment, even though I don't all the time. I don't think anybody does. I don't think anybody's perfect in that sense. Um, but that's something I'm trying to do because in Monday qualifiers, I've had good starts. And then I'm like, okay, you know, I've started really well. Let's just kind of like, let's get to those par fives and make birdies there instead of now because it's easier to do it then. So, yeah, a lot of different thoughts, a lot of different thoughts that I mean, I have and I try not to have. But those are uh, kind of the, the feels of a Monday qualifier.
2: Totally well, I mean
0: Tigers talked a lot about it right where he has four holes to play kind of like you described and he creates new goals new mini goals and it might not even be score it could be yeah. four greens hit it could be three of four greens you know it could yep. be hitting your spot have hitting the right club or committing that's another great controllable is yep. let's have Okay, so if the let's commit on every shot in these last four holes, I don't care where it goes, but let's have 100% commitment rate. Caddy, hold me exactly. to it. We're committing to every shot. That's the goal for the last four holes, you know? And you rate yourself against that more of an executional goal.
2: I think committing over a
1: straightforward shot is way harder than a shot that is really difficult. That makes sense. So say yeah. I'm in the trees or I'm hitting a punch cut, you know, and there's water left, you know if you don't cut it, you're in the water, but you, you're not thinking about it. All you're thinking about is a shot you're trying to hit. When you've got a nine iron from the middle of the fairway to a middle pin, you're, you don't really focus on the shot you're trying to hit, whether it's a draw or a fade. You're just kind of thinking, I can hit a draw or a fade and it's going to end up on either side of the pin. Yep. But it's you know, pick one, focus on it and only it, and then try to execute, and that's all you can do
0: yeah singularity is key right having a singular focus um well james we're so happy and grateful to have you on the train we're big fans we're going to be rooting you on if you don't follow him at james nicholas golf instagram tiktok you do great stuff every day um it's fun to follow you and hear you on uh i know off air we were talking about why you do the content you do Maybe we end with that. And If there's anything else that we didn't get to talk about that you want to end on, uh, the, floor, yeah. the floor is yours.
1: Yeah, I think that's um, something we talked about. I think that's why I do my social channels. It's why I put a lot of time and effort into them. It's not the only reason, but it's one of the biggest reasons. When I was you know, 10, 11, 12, 13 years old, I wanted to know what it took to be a PGA Tour golfer because um, I wasn't the best player in, in, in you know, my state, in my school, in XYZ. I wanted to know if I could do it. So I'd go on Google and I'd type in, okay, what do you shoot when you're 12 years old if you're going to be in the PJ tour? And you know, there's no answers on there. There's no right path. And that's something that I've learned now. And that's something that I'm trying to show to my followers. I'm trying to be real. I'm trying to be authentic. I went out there today and I do over-unders almost all the time on my Instagram. And that helps yeah. me stay accountable. So the over-under day was 70.5 and I hit the under twice today. So that was great. I had a good day. But if I went out there and shot 78, I'm posting the 78. And that's one thing I want kids to know is that I'm on the Corn Ferry Tour, um, you know, I'm ranked in the top 1,000 on on world golf rankings, and I can go out there and have a bad day. And so can you. Don't stand on the first tee and say this has to be my my, my best round I've ever had because it's not. Right. You know, and even if you're 10, 11, 12, if there are guys that are better than you, work harder than them. You know, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard, and that's a quote. Um, that I've heard over and over again in my life from my hockey coaches. Um, and, you know, it doesn't matter if there's guys that are better than you right now. If you start working hard and I work them, you can get to where you want to be. And you know, that's something I like to preach and something I like to share and just try to inspire the young generation. You know, if they have, if you guys follow me on Instagram, you shoot me a, a DM. I do my best to respond to them and, and try to get to everybody. So if you have any questions, just you know, hit me up, and I hope to help you guys as much as I can.
0: I love it. Well, we're gonna keep cheering you on. I think the other thing before I let you go, James, that's interesting about what you just said is that works in the round too, right? Because you might think exact your exact example with the 61. Did you think you'd shoot a 61? In order to shoot a 61, you probably feel like you can't snap hook the first drive, right? Or you need to go six under the first nine, but you didn't. Yeah. And you kept plugging along, just like you're talking about with the career overall. But that applies. In the round too, you to go low. You don't have to be perfect either.
1: I think a lot of people focus on par fives too, and they're like, "Hey, you got to birdie all the par fives. You got to hit all of them in two, and you got to make some eagles and birdies." When I shot 11 under in my Monday qualifier, I hit the worst drives of my life on every single par five. Had to lay up, hit wedge close in every one, and made bird in every one. Mm. Right? There's no, there's no pictures on the scorecard. It just for the matter. So, I agree. You just got to keep sticking to what you're doing and just try to do your best love it as we
0: say on the train keep chugging you know and enjoy the ride so uh thanks james this was great um best of luck the rest of the season
1: hey thanks for me on guys